Hey everybody, just a quick heads up. We've uh, creatively bleeped out some of the more colorful language in this week's episode of the podcast, but if you'd like to hear it in its full glory, plus watch the entire length of the conversation with our guests Caitlin and Molly, which is actually almost three times as long as what you're going to hear on the podcast, please consider joining our Patreon community at patreon.com slash rude grooms. Today, 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 I'm so excited. I'm going to try really hard for the next length of this episode not to spaz out continuously because we have two of our favorite people on the show today in a double feature. First off, she is an actor, a fight choreographer, a pumpkin pie enthusiast, and a founding member of the critically acclaimed Vixens on Guard at the New York Ren Fair, who can be seen in the upcoming histories at the Brave Spirits Theater in Washington, D.C. Please welcome Molly Thomas. Thank you, Daniel. Hi. <laughs> and she is an actor, a singer, a fight choreographer, the co-founder of Fight the Good Fight Productions, whose upcoming series, The Hunted, will be making its way to your computer screens on the interweb soon. Please welcome Caitlin Farley. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. I'm so excited this is happening. <laughs> cheers. So, cheers. Yeah. cheers, everybody. Yeah. Eyes, 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 eyes. Hey, 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 hey. Great. The next seven years look awesome. Molly was actually uh, one of the original associate artists of Rude Grooms. She was also in our inaugural production of the Common series in Much Ado About Nothing. She was Beatrice and was absolutely brilliant. And then Caitlin has done the fight choreography for our last two productions, both Romeo and Juliet and The Changeling, which seems to simultaneously be beautiful and horrific all at the same time. I'm not entirely sure how you thread that needle, but Caitlin, let me start with you. How did you find your way into this world of choreographed violence? Well, um, I started as a musical theater kid. So when I got into singing stuff, I started getting into dance because I was like, oh, well, you have to do that if you want to do musical theater. And so when I went to school in Toronto, we got in our first term, we got to do stage combat. Casey Hudecki was our stage combat teacher. She was the one who introduced me to stage combat and stage violin. I just loved the physicality of it way more. The intention and the um, emotion behind all of it. So we only got one semester of that at school. After, after that one semester, Casey was like, you seem to have a really good time with that. You should come train with us or rape your wit. And I was like, oh yeah, totally. I really want to do that. But at the time we had to ask permission to take outside classes. So like a goody two shoes, cause that's who I was at 20. I asked permission. And when I was told that I should, my workload was going to get intense. I was like, okay. And I never pursued it. Mm. I did not get my taste of it again until I moved to New York. So I moved to New York for another theater program, and that is where Jared Kirby, who I train with, came in to teach our stage combat. And I jumped on it and just pursued it, and I showed up at their summer intensive. And I've been training with him for almost six and a half years now. So Molly, yes. you, Monty, and I have known each other since we were little babies in New York. And from what I remember of our days at NYU, there was never a whole lot of conversation or inclination that I saw, at least, toward fight choreography for you. So talk a little bit about how you found your way into fight choreography as well. Completely by accident. Mm. Um, I 
was never an active kid. Um, there continues to be shock in my family, specifically my brother has said a few times where he's like, you're, you, you're so like physically, you're like an athlete. Like what the hell happened? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I was never an active kid. And in college I, you know, I was an actor, but stage combat didn't come along really until I took Unarmed, like Unarmed 101 with J. David Brimmer, um, second semester of my senior year to kill an elective. Best class so I, I ever graduate. took at NYU. Yep. Um, and it was fun. I had a good time. It was interesting. I didn't have any kind of like natural aptitude for it per se, other than other other than knowing how to tell a good story. It's um, a huge part of it. <laughs> it sure is. And I didn't really think much of it. And then right like Right when I graduated, I was accepted as one of the cast members at the New York Renaissance Fair up in Tuxedo, New York. And when I was there, discovered through watching the chessboard fights that they have and the joust ground fights and stuff like that, that women can fight too, which I just had never really thought about. And then I get to the Ren Fair and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I want to do that. I'm super grateful that Casey was my teacher because yeah. it introduced me into like, I was like, I watched this badass woman teach me these badass things. And I was like... I want to do I'm that. I'm sorry, are you saying that representation in the classroom had an impact on your growth as, Why, uh, yes. as an artist and a human? Yes, in fact, what? I think I am. Hmm. So um, after that season at the New York Run Fair, I started taking classes um, at On Guard Entertainment or On Guard Academy at the time with David Dean and Alexandra Hastings and focused specifically on unarmed stuff for a long while. And then in January of 2010, I picked up a single sword for the first time, which if you're unfamiliar, a single sword is uh, the kind of Errol Flynn swashbuckly thing where it's got a saber hilt and then a long rapier uh, blade. And I picked that up for the first time and my whole body, like it's so cliche, but my whole body was like, Oh, Oh, I, I get this. I know this. Would it be, would it be fair to say that you did not choose the blade, but the blade chose you? Yeah. I was just about to make my own Harry Potter reference <laughs> yes. in that moment, but yes, uh -huh. that's exactly what that's it's exactly like. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> You're just um, like, oh, this is right. And four months after that, Alexandra and David approached me to join the Vixens on Guard, which they were creating, which is an all-female sword fighting and Shakespeare troupe that tours the country on the Renaissance Fair circuit. And I've been working with them since then. So we just finished our 10th season and stage combat has ended up being... Kind of my bread and butter. It's how I get cast in everything now. It's That's like incredible. what I'm sort of known for is playing male roles in Shakespeare and being a stage combatant. Did you find that it was easy or natural to pick up how much how much difficulty and challenge was there for you when you initially started? I have a lot I had a lot of physical awareness and movement, but I know one of the things was I had to learn not to point my toes. Because you you don't wanna make impact, violent impact with the the point of your foot, right? You want to get that heel involved, get the flat of that foot involved. Whereas like with dance, I was always pointing my toes. And like when I would fall on the ground, I was falling very gracefully. I was like doing a proper sit fall, but I was like sprawling out and my hands looked pretty and like went into kind of a ballet thing. And like <laughs> my toes would point to like keep my le length. It was really kind of ridiculous. So I had to get that out of my system. When I first started, it was it was more so like other habits I had that I really impacted how I like looked as a fighter and how I really took to it. Coordination and getting like sounds and naps and things in there were, were very interesting. But like, I really love spear now, but there's a grace to it with all the twirling and stuff that I just like, it, I take to it well because of all of that. So it's just been interesting to explore now that I'm, I've done, played with so many weapons and styles that where those habits from, you know, 10 years ago really help me and where they inhibit me. Right. Yeah. So you had to, you had to initially 
unlearn yes. a lot of habits, break mm-hmm. a lot of habits that now you're able to come back to as you learn and experiment with new things. Interesting. But that's how I like to teach as well. Like I always want everyone to remember what it's like to not be able to throw a punch because half the time you're not playing the hero. You don't get to be a kung fu badass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to be the person who sucks at it, especially as a woman. Like you're often playing the victim and I'm really good at being a rag doll now. Like <laughs> it's also a very, I actually very much enjoy it. Chokes are my favorite thing, but, um, both giving and receiving, um, <laughs> moving yeah. past that. And we're keeping a counter of all yeah. of the innuendos. Seven years, my friends, seven years. <laughs> it yep. will happen. Well, I love it. What about you, Molly? How did it first set out for you? I come from a gigantic music background. My father's a classical pianist and my mom sang and like my whole family sang in the choirs at church and stuff like that. And I also did ballet and my initial dream when I was a child was to be a ballerina. So for me, doing the actual movements was pretty simple for stage combat because, again, the coordination was already there. My kinesthetic and body awareness was already really good. Um, But I suffered from a similar thing of um, always being very graceful. The biggest struggles I had were... um, when the Vixens were doing Romeo and Juliet and I was playing Romeo, the note that I kept getting from our fight choreographer was mess it up, mess it up. You know the choreography now, but mess it up. You're playing Romeo. Your best friend just died. And now the person who killed him is there in front of you. Like now is not the time for graceful falls or making perfect technique. Like you'll be safe. You know this well enough, but you need to get scrappy. And that's really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, always has been. And now, you know, I'm, I've been trying to incorporate those lessons into life as well to mm-hmm. sort of get scrappy yeah, more yeah. with life and have more adventures. <laughs> um, but it's actually been showing up a lot in recent months. Um, I'm working on a gigantic project, the, the Shakespeare's history project down in DC with Brave Spirits Theater. And I'm playing the Douglas, who is a loud, brash, wonderful Scotsman, um, and is legendary as a fighter. And the weapon that I was given to use in this thing is a four foot long double bladed battle axe oh, that yeah, weighs yeah. about oh eight pounds or like five Why to eight pounds. Why didn't you bring it with you? Because I don't own it. It doesn't um, matter. It you is. Can it's technically a battle axe, but like it, I asked the choreographer who's Casey Kaliba, yes. who's wonderful. Yes. Um, I asked him, what the hell is this? And he was like, I don't know. It's just the thing I have. It's um, going to be fun. That's yeah, what it is. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's very big and it's very top heavy and... Um, Casey is six foot odd and I am five foot five. And so this four foot long ax is just complicated for me to use. Mm-hmm. And the choreography is a different kind of choreography than I'm used to doing. It's very circular as opposed to very linear. And I am being taxed in my stage combat skills in a way that I haven't been in ages. And it's been really eye-opening to discover mm-hmm. what habits keep coming back, including being too perfect and being too graceful. Yeah. Um, not, tor- not, learning that I don't apparently know how to twist my torso because most of the work I've been, all of the work that I've done with the Vixen specifically, I've done in a corset. And so I literally cannot twist my torso. (laughs) And so, and because I've been doing it for so long, I didn't realize until we were working on this choreography for the histories project, just how much that had become deeply ingrained into how my muscles work. Oh, wow. So it's, I'm literally having to relearn how to move my body in Mm. order to get this 
bloody axe to do what it's supposed to do. With all of the with all of the constant, uh, yeah. so you mentioned the vixens twice. Can you tell us more about what the vixens are? Yeah, we're an all female sword fighting and Shakespeare troupe that tours the Renaissance Fair circuit. Um, there is at least one Ren Fair in every state in the union, which is cool. And we do twenty five minute parodied versions of Shakespeare plays where we play all the male roles and we tap men from the audience to play the prominent female roles. Um, so, and we focus on the fights in those shows and there's a lot of puppets and, um, it's hilarious and a lot of fun and has some deeply serious moments as well. Cause we tried to balance out all parts of the Shakespeare. And you mentioned, you mentioned back to 2010. Is that when you started with them? Yep. That's when we were, that's when we were created. We are lucky to, um, over the years have gotten people like Lisa Kapitsky, who is a fight choreographer around New York and works at the public and at Lincoln Center regularly, also on Broadway. Um, Alexis Black, who's a movement director out in Michigan at, um, a university out there. Um, and we also have Alicia Rodas, who, uh, has been gaining a lot of prominence in recent years as an intimacy coordinator in LA, specifically for HBO. Hmm. Um, she and Tonya Cena and uh, Siobhan Richardson created Intimacy Directors International and are the spearhead, the tip of the point mm-hmm. of the spearhead um, that has been part of the in- the movement to bring intimacy into intimacy work into the rehearsal room in the same way that you would with a fight. So that you're not just told, as I'm sure all of us were at one point, like, well, I don't know, just kiss each other when yeah. you get to a kiss in a mm-hmm. show. Or just God kiss forbid. Each other and don't put your tongue in anyone's mouth. Right. Or God forbid a director telling you to just go in the hallway and figure it out. How many episodes has Intimacy Direction come up on? Do you think, uh, I, be- I want to say it's all episode of- seven, so I think seven. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. I believe it's come up in literally all it's of really them. Cool. It's really yeah. cool. It's really cool. Well, we were. Um, in our previous episode with Rachel Schmeling, who was our Juliet yeah. um, this past summer, one of the things that we talked about, because Caitlin, you helped us a lot with the intimacy and the violence for Romeo and Juliet. And uh, Rachel was saying, and I completely agree, that uh, the specificity in intimacy in a play is just as important as specificity in the violence because it's a physical interaction between two people. So you want to make sure that, like Molly was saying, people's boundaries are respected and everybody knows exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen as well. Within the storytelling and not just respecting human boundaries of the actor themselves, but the specificity of the story is needs to be thought about in the in that rehearsal room as well. I know with Romeo and Juliet, a lot of the conversation ended up being like, you guys are very comfortable with each other as actors and as human beings. And sometimes you're doing these kind of moments with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a best friend or like someone you're super comfortable with. And now what you, how you choose to touch them needs to actually reflect the relationship in the story. Something I've heard a couple of times that also ties back to why I think often people with musical theater backgrounds are so fantastic in fights. Rhythm. Is, is, <laughs> rhythm yeah. some, some of that stuff, obviously, but also the idea that like, what are the most heightened moments in a play? Mm. The most heightened moments in a non-musical play are probably going to be moments of physical violence or moments of intimacy. It's sort of the perfect timing for intimacy direction to be to, to exist now. I don't know if it could have happened before. And I, I would chalk it up to the fact that as a culture, we are terrified of talking about sex, mm-hmm. mm. um, and showing display, you know, public displays of affection to many people are very gross unless you're the one perpetrating it, unless you're the one doing it. Um, and so no one wants to talk about it because it's kind of taboo to talk about like 
everybody watches porn, but no one talks about the fact that they watch porn, like that kind of thing. And we're afraid that like what we think about, what we think the character should be doing will somehow reflect how us. we would be if you right. were to be intimate with us. And we don't want to reveal that. Because- right. Exactly. Um, so I think it's partly, partly that people did not feel that they, that they could talk about these things. And also that there has been, I, I, so many actors don't want to be perceived as difficult especially mm-hmm. women because mm-hmm. you know we raise our voices slightly too loud and suddenly we're bitches yes. and it, it i would bet it's a combination of directors not knowing quite how to approach it because we're not allowed to talk about sex in this culture and then on the flip side actors not knowing how to talk about the things that make them uncomfortable because there isn't there wasn't a platform for that can you remember an instance where you started to be in spaces where that kind of conversation was encouraged. I I can't pinpoint an exact moment, but I would bet that working again with the Vixens and being in a room full of strong, stubborn women who all have very, very good and intelligent opinions and strengths and experiences, and that our voices were encouraged has given me the confidence to start pointing out the things that I don't like and start being more vocal and, and asking the question, even if I don't have a question, bringing up the subject so that someone else feels that they can. I did have a lot of strong female role models kind of coming out of school in, in Toronto, even if, I mean, Casey, I knew for maybe four months, but like her, my experience with her as a teacher has stuck with me to this day. And I like follow her like a fiend on Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, fight mommy. And I'm all about it. I'm like, <laughs> you are living the life I want. And it's fantastic. I also had a really fantastic director in um, my final show, not my, not the final musical show, but in our final play, Rosanna Sarancino. And I, I worked in the costume department with her. So I, we hung out a lot outside of school and she's just strong and fearless and kind of brash and just there's a lot of things about her i know i will never be as a person but i respect the oh vengeance out of and i just am sorry um, <laughs> i just we warned you yes yep. yes we did and um i just i hold on to those things and while at that moment time in my life i was not that person i'm also one who likes to make sure that i'm very respectful of everybody and up until the last few years i still would find myself especially in um, situations with authority of kind of going into what I would deem my little girl voice. And I kind of was like, I actually just have a quick question for you. Right. Uh-huh. Do you hear, uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't sit here. I do regularly now, but I didn't unless it was conscious. It was especially in my acting, not, not my performance, but in those situations. And I have been in situations where I felt like my opinion, not even broaching subjects of intimacy and how one is feeling, but just in terms of what I wanted to do with the work felt like that wasn't respected. And I was Mm. still in training and learning and figuring it out. So when it gets shut down, it was really like, I I felt like I kind of had to rehabilitate after, you know, kind of getting out of school and, and, and entering the industry on my own, especially here in New York and being like confident in myself as an actor and let alone being okay, like confident in just like my opinion again, let alone my opinion about things that were very, like you said, taboo in a lot of aspects. Now I would say I'm very open about everything, but it took me probably the last 10 years to get there. How do you each go about creating the kind of environment that your previous self would have appreciated five years ago, 10 years ago, now that you're in a position to set that tone and establish those ground rules and the guidelines in which people are allowed to play? What are some of the ways that you go about 
setting the kind of environment that you would have appreciated way back when before this kind of work was talked about? Being in the room, saying yes to being in the room. I think um, I never saw myself as an instructor. I kept ending up in these positions where I was helping my my co, you know, especially in Shakespeare productions when we had the fight director come in for like a day. Right. Um, you know, I was the fight captain then basically teaching the choreography, right? As I've worked with Jared more and more, I started assisting. And then all of a sudden I was kind of like, all right, now you have that conversation. I was like, whoa, right? Very like <laughs> karate kid mentality there. It's great. And I was like, oh, I do know how to have this conversation. And I actually enjoy having these conversations. And I do like being in the room because I don't think a classroom goes by where I don't have one of the young women coming up to me and saying, thank you. And yeah. I loved being taught by you. And a lot of the young men more of late that are just like, whoa, this is such a badass thing. And like when I get to, sometimes I'm teaching when Jared can't be there and they're like, we get to learn from you today. And I'm like, thanks guys. You know, and it's, <laughs> and it's just, it's really, for me, it is, um, reflective of my own experience with it was having a woman teach me in the room being like, oh yeah, you can do this. Molly, what about, what about you? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you are involved in a, in a, um, in a managerial capacity or a directorial capacity with the fights and brave spirits, yes or you're, no, not at no. all. Okay. I, am, I am just an actor. Okay, yeah, but you have you have taken. Well, actually, over. that to me is actually even more interesting. So, what, having spent so many years being so involved in a fight-based company, is it hard for you to enter a situation in which you don't oh. get to um, to lead that conversation or? or be a part of it from the top down rather than from the bottom up? No, because I have never wanted to be top dog. I'm really good at being second in command. Who's like, hey, did you remember this thing? Have you remembered this person's needs? Have you like just just being the helper? So I am one of those people who absolutely loves being a stage combat assistant hmm. or like a, a fight choreographer's assistant. I mm -hmm. really enjoy it and it's where I shine most. Um, I can do fight choreography and fight direction on my own, but I am I just enjoy being an assistant more. Um because it's maybe it's because I'm an actor first and foremost, where it's like, oh, you give me a structure, I will help you build that structure. I will mm -hmm. help it look good. But coming up with the structure myself is just a different, different thing, different skill. Um, so it hasn't been an issue with Brave Spirits at all. Um, partly because Casey also, Casey Kaliba has also been, um, he's the fight kind of fight director who works with his actors to build choreography, um, which I think is kind of. I know that there are people in the SAFD, which is the Society of American Fight Directors, and various others around the country who would disagree with me on this, but I really think the best choreography comes from working with your actors and having them have their own ideas involved in that choreography yes. instead of coming in agree. saying, this is what you're going to do, do it now. I'm yeah. sorry, are you suggesting that actors have agency that's not given to them top down from a director or... Uh, yeah. Wait, you're not Person insinuating okay. you're not insinuating that good work is born out of collaboration, are you? I'm no. saying we're all creatives. Mm. <laughs> what? I know. Wow. I, um, I don't think you're gonna do well in the American theater industry <laughs> honest, I, I gotta be honest. I will say it is a slower process working with your actors to build choreography, but it always looks better and they always remember it better. Coming from these backgrounds, I personally now that I've found these rooms. Right. And these collaborators who don't think their idea is better than someone else's idea, who don't think that they are God's gift to storytelling, who actually believe that one and or two and or eight other people's ideas combined might be more powerful than one person's vision, who are interested in the welfare of the people in the room, in 
creating something they can remember as quickly as possible and something that's going to fit as best in their bodies as possible. Frustratingly, it's now so hard for me in quote unquote traditional environments. Like I can't, I am, I have a bad attitude. I don't even want to be there and I need to want to be there because I need to pay my bills. Right. Um, is that a struggle for you? And if so, are there ways that you've found to reassess or reconfigure your experience of those rooms into something that allows you this type of, of safety and, and boldness and self-expression? One of the blessings I've, I feel like I latch onto from training with Jared is one of the, he has a lot of mantras that, that I end up peppering into my own teaching that problems are just brilliance in disguise. And that actually has proven to be true more often than not, because even if I might feel like I have something super badass happening and I love it and my actors are good at it, but it's just, you know, X, Y, Z, it's not what the director wants, or I luckily don't feel like I've come up against too many. I mean, I, I do feel like I've, I've felt that kind of shutdown happen. Um, but I don't feel like I've come up with too many, um, directors who haven't at least had the conversation with me, even if I've had to concede in the end, often having to figure out how to get what they want to happen is just as fun and interesting. And I just kind of take it as a new challenge. And, um, I'm very grateful for Jared for having a, a sense of self to be able to phrase it in that way. And, um, I, I use that a lot, I think, now. It's just that idea that problems are just brilliance in disguise. And what what do I need to figure out? What's the new challenge here? And I haven't encountered... Me, I really haven't encountered any directors that have gotten in my way as a fight director. Mm -hmm. It's generally been a very wonderful collaborative experience, which is very cool. But I have encountered things like that in the classroom um, when I've been a student everybody's got a different perspective on the right way to do something. Yes. And it's brought me to really appreciate, Monty, what you and I have talked about over and over and over again of tools, not rules, where if I think a piece of choreography should be done in this manner and a, an instructor or fellow fight person tells me that it should be done a different way, I will try and do it that way to just give it a shot. If that's what they've decided, that's what it needs to look like, then fine. I will do that. And I'll put it, instead of getting crotchety about it, I'll try and put it back in my arsenal as another option. You know, everybody's yeah. got a different perspective on how to do a choke. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Everybody does. And I know what I prefer, but that's not what Alan prefers, I found out. And it's not what Rob Hunter down in DC prefers. Like everybody's different. And so the thing that I've worked with them or worked on the most is trying to take those moments of small clash and turn them into, turn them into an opportunity, um, turn them into Problems a chance. Are brilliance Problems in disguise. Yeah. Brilliance in disguise. But you never know when you're going to need that version. Yeah. Right? Building, building my own arsenal of options for that actor who's like, hey, I can't actually do a choke like that. Then I have something else I can fall back on. I find the fight choreography world so fascinating because it is an element of theater that I know relatively nothing about except what I've been told to do from production to production. And um, in case it hasn't been painfully apparent throughout the course of this conversation, I think the two of you are just the coolest ever. <laughs> so if I may nerd out around you for a little bit Please. and ask you this question, 
what's the favorite, what's your favorite fight that you have not been a part of? That's literally the thing that I was planning. I was like, <laughs> we're going to take this Man, break. I, and I knew you guys were going to ask that question. And I, <laughs> I don't what is, no, I don't what is, what's your favorite fight in theater? Top of mind, top of mind. First, top of mind. Like, like theater, when, film, when you think of like, like <gasps> the knife fight in Captain America Winter Soldier yes. is incredible. Um, the fight in Troy is just mm-hmm. astonishing, especially Which when one? you the one um, the big battle between Hector and Achilles. Hector and Achilles, mm-hmm. especially oh, when you man. realize that it was actually those actors doing it. They did not have yeah, stunt doubles. Yeah, Eric uh, Yeah, they yeah. trained. Which is insane in like 120 degree heat. The big fight between Luke and Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. Um, Empire, not Jedi specifically. No, Empire specifically. Interesting. Choreographically or uh. A little of both, honestly. Um, but I like the choreography the best, mm-hmm. as specifically. The Princess Bride fight, because two of the things that um, have become part of my own mantra um, from the people that I've trained with is that fights should I do one, if not both things, and they should either advance the plot or reveal character. Mm. Hopefully both. That fight does that. Yeah. Oh, it sure and does. It's so Jared's thing, like his association, but I can't let that go because I was like, yeah, because you don't see both those things happening all the time. Um, yes, there's always kind of a goal on the other side and that makes sense. And like, you know, people are pummeling through other adversaries or like, you know, soldier number one, two, five, and six, but to really reveal how people deal with all of that and, and let us know what's going on and, and developing character relationship. Like there's so many little nuances within all of that, that thankfully weren't taken out when it was turned into like a visual spectacle, which, Mm -hmm. It was, but also in a very brilliantly storytelling way. When designing a fight, one of the things that has to be baked into the foundation of the violence itself is the idea of giving the weapons the respect that they deserve. And one of the things that I appreciated... Oh, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciated so much about the experience of Romeo and Juliet, that was my first time ever serving as fight captain. Thank of you. anything. Yes. And um, I remember when you were walking me through what those procedures were going to be like, I remember being so solemn and so serious about the idea that I was going to be responsible not only for running the fights, but also in charge of the physical objects themselves. An audience can and can feel when your energy level is involved when your relationship with things is there. And that might not always be cognitively. It might just be a gut feeling or a like a re it's like when that one punch and that one sound is just a hits that piece of gold that it just rings, you know, and just everything was perfect in that moment. And then you get the audible reaction from the audience. Like that's what I live for. Yeah. It's just that the whole audience (gasps) going, Ooh, you, you feel it. Like an audience can feel it when you've brought that weapon on stage as a weapon. Mm-hmm. You haven't brought that weapon on stage as a prop. I have been in situations where choreo is taken away from actors because I'm just like, nah. Yeah. If it's it's at this at this point when we have a show in like three days, that's not like it's not selling. It's not working. It's we're gonna change it. How do you gauge when it's time to take away choreo from an actor? I would always bring it back to myself or like okay. to the show or what we need yeah. to do for the show. Like, yeah, I, I as an actor, I would hate that if I felt like I was oh, yeah. the person it's changing like, that. Up. I feel yeah. like the story would be clearer if we yeah. actually we make need this to clarify something here. So <laughs> I've over choreographed this, yeah. and we're gonna pare it down. <laughs> oh my god, that's what they're saying when they say that to me. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Didn't we do that to last 
decade of my career. (laughs) (laughs) I I was given, I don't even remember which of my teachers said this. It was probably David Dean Hastings because I worked with him for a long, long time. But uh, for me, it's a rule of three. If the actor for either three rehearsals or three times just Mm. can't get it, usually three rehearsals because I want to give them more time. But like if an actor just has not, just clearly it's still not there and it's taking a lot of work change it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a, as a director, that is my like number one rule. Yeah. It was taught to me as if I have to give an actor the same note three times, the problem's not the actor, it's my note. Mm. Interesting. Which I think I is a that. really helpful way to look. I don't think it's actually necessarily true. Having been an actor who sometimes will just refuse to take that note, no matter how many times you give it to me. <laughs> well, because, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've never done that in my life. Um, but I think what, what is certainly true about it is if you give the note three times, it doesn't matter if it's a good note, a playable note, something the actor wants to do, something the actor can do. After three times, it's not going to be a thing that happens in the process unless you have a battle. And I like to think of it in terms of like, I get, I get the opportunity, as you were talking about earlier, like the with problems being... Um, brilliance in brilliance disguise. Brilliance in disguise. Yeah. Oh, this is an opportunity for me to, to to reframe that idea in a new way. Yeah. I will say that it's not a hard and fast rule. Like I was doing a, I did the fights for a production back in the spring. Um, and there was one piece of choreography that was, it was a sword fighting thing. And it was a piece of choreography that involved moving the sword with the hilt in a really like nifty, cool way that I had just learned at a workshop mm-hmm. um, and was really excited to use. Um, and we went past the rule of three. Like the actor wasn't getting it. it. just wasn't quite clicking, but he was like, I love this thing and I want to get it. Just, I just need more time. And I was like, okay. If it had gotten to the point where we were like just outside of tech and we were getting close to the opening of the show, I would have been like, I get it, but I'm going to change it. Yeah. And we can work on that later. This if is you something want. you continue to yeah. work towards putting in your, but you he know, ended up like, but- I was gone for about a week. And the next time I came in to watch rehearsals, he had it and it was like, sweet. Thank you. Great. So it's, it, you know, there's, there's, there's always some, legal room. Yeah. There's room for conversation there always. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. he loved that particular piece of choreography. He was like, this is freaking cool. I want to do this. I just, my, my body won't do it yet. <laughs> and we opened in that room with that director who was like lambasting that actor. It's like mm-hmm. the 75th time they've given the note and now they're desperate and the actor feels defeated. disenfranchised yeah. and completely defeated. And it's like now, now the whole room is being wounded every time oh, you give God. this note. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not right. It doesn't mean it's not a good idea, though usually it means you're not right and it's not a good idea. <laughs> um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means this is not helpful. Yeah, You're not listening. You're not present. And you're not being a collaborator right now. I've like, been that actor. It's not fun. No, mm. I've been that actor. I think we all have Yeah, at some point. Yeah. Bombarding is never an efficient way to get results. Mm-mm. Yeah, it just creates a hole in the wall. Yeah, well, and it, and it happens in classes too. It's yeah. not it's not unique to the rehearsal room. It's no. absolutely in right. classes. I mean, I <laughs> sorry people that I who taught me in college, but I graduated college hating acting really? for that reason. Oh yeah, really? yeah, I hated acting. Me too. Wow. I had this very How many fancy. Very our year at Atlantic are still working actors. Not many. Not many. Mm. Well, here's the thing. I did not. I didn't leave college. I didn't leave college hating acting. But I did leave college feeling a massive sense of imbalance Hmm. and the way that my brain decided to correct that was I immersed myself in learning how to become a chess teacher for eight years. And I worked at one place for the better part of a decade. Like I spent, I spent the better part of my twenties 
teaching people how to play chess. Mm. And it wasn't until very recently where the pendulum started to swing back in the other direction. And as much as I have the moments of like, I've wasted my best years not pursuing my yeah. craft. I like in the quiet there are moments. There jobs for those in their 90s. Right. In hey, the quiet you on moments. Patreon, you can see his face. His best years are definitely coming mm-hmm. right now. Hey, mm-hmm. y'all. How's it going? No, but. Um, <laughs> At the Daniel Camper. for Daniel here. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I realized in the, in the quiet moments of self-reflection, when I was being honest with myself, it really came down to, no, you you needed that time mm-hmm. because i thought to myself i in the writing of my college essays to get into to apply for college i realized that i had been singularly focused on trying to do this as a profession since i was 8 years old mm. i was conscious about it in elementary school i was deliberate about it in middle school i was actively working toward it in high school. And then there was four years of college. And so I realized that time after my formal education was the first time that I had found something else that I enjoyed doing that wasn't related to this industry. Oh, that's cool. And so when I came out the other side of it, when I left that job and I'm working in the place where I am now, still doing the same thing, but not as labor intensive and not as emotionally taxing, I was able to realize that that was what I needed for that period of my life. And now I am able to come back to this profession from a place of no, we're back on this train again. We mm-hmm. have things that we're trying to do and we have a timetable in which we're trying to do them, but the joy is there now. Okay, uh, before before we wrap this up, cheekily, um, oh. you don't have to, you do not have to tell us where or when or why, but I want to hear about some of the worst combat you've ever seen Ooh. or had to do. Spill that tea. Just like. Spill that tea. <laughs> or what like annoys you the most when you're working either as an actor who has combat or has to give combat. Any, uh, working like, with a partner who thinks they can improvise the fight. Oh, that's terrifying. Oof. Yeah. Oof. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. Oh my yeah. god! That just Whether made me or not they or or ends up improvising the fight when they blank on their choreography. Oh, f- right. <sighs> you do not keep swinging if you forget what you're no. supposed to do. Oh, um, this god. is this is generally known in in the theater or stage combat community. But um, if if you go up on your choreography, if you completely blank out and you have no idea what the heck comes next, you do not then just sort of pick something and go for it. You stop and you look at your fellow actor who probably has a sense of the fact that you have forgotten your choreography. Yeah. Deer and in you, headlights is a very, very good giveaway. Yeah. You forget what's up. Yeah. <laughs> and you either, and you pick the next moment to move to yeah. that you both remember, or you restart the fight, or your partner says something like, boy, you sure look like you want to cut at my right arm. Like it. There are ways. There are ways around mm. it other than you, randomly slashing at somebody's yeah. face. You put your back to the audience and then twitch your, you know, your right fist and they're like oh yeah right hook great and then that might clue in their muscle memory and if Mm. not you just you figure it out do not make shit up Mm. no 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 which you feel like what you would think would be a given but the Mm. fact that that's what came up first and very professional working actors still do that sometimes and i unfortunately have been on the receiving end a lot yeah Mm. it's 
awful. As much as you want the factor of danger and the and the gasps and everything to be there, you want the audience to be involved because the characters are there and never because they're afraid for the actor. Mm. Mm-hmm. There is a, a note that directors tend to give, which is that they want the fight to be as real as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, make it more real, make it more believable or whatever, because they're afraid that because it's stage combat, it won't look, won't be real looking. And this tends to happen on like the first day of tech when everybody's on the stage for the first time with the whole set and the costumes. The and so the f- already amped 50%. Well, and the fights are going at like 50% speed or intensity because the actors are like, oh, I move upstairs now? I forgot about that part. And the director starts to panic because they're like, well, I need the feist to be more real. There is a threshold of that. And I feel like most people who are listening to this, anyone who's seen a piece of live theater where it's gotten too real and the actors are actively in danger, mm. you know it. You can feel it. And you're not interested in the fight anymore or mm-hmm. in, the, in the play anymore. You're wondering when you're going to hear the sound of a bone breaking yep. or wondering if you're going to see actual blood. Like yeah. it completely takes you out because you can sense as a human being that there is actual danger happening. Involved, yeah. And it's, it's a very fine line. It's something that fight directors have to stand up for and actors have to stand up for being like, we can achieve the appropriate level of realism without making it real. I've been the actor that is way too gung-ho and did not speak up for herself, and mm-hmm. that is how I broke my hand. Okay. Oh, I was in the stage combat environment. I really was doing something I really wanted to try. It was like the hilt moment. It was something I wasn't capable of yet. And I did not, I did not let myself have the awareness. I was very stubborn. The cool part about that at the end was I had to learn my entire sword fight left-handed in a day and a half. And I did, Oh, good for which you. is awesome. <laughs> so like, I'm very proud of that, but I also would have like to not break my hand. Sure. So there, but that was, that was very much out of my own. Um, I didn't, I, I was like, yes, one more time instead of being like, nah, I need a break mm-hmm. or it's not yeah. happening right now. And, um, that was also like, never be afraid to speak up for yourself in the stage combat world. Directors don't feel like one tiny moment of violence is enough to bring a fight director in. So they'll just like figure it out. Mm. And often that's like when there's only a push or there's only a slap. And my big pet peeve, and please always advocate for yourselves, do not let another actor slap you, even if the director says so. It's a very old school acting and directing way of thinking. And it's not the fight directing way of thinking. It is a director slash this is what just actors did, you know, 50 years ago. They just got slapped. You don't need to do that. There are so many ways to do that without um, having to slap another person. And here's the thing. You're hurting the story. Like, at the end of the day, if you're... You're like, oh, no, I can take it. Don't be that actor. Like, you don't need to take it. You can say no, and you can have that conversation. You can ask for a fight director. Always advocate if you're like, oh, this is a moment of violence. Who's your fight director? You are always at liberty to ask as an actor if you know your character has violence. Ask who the fight director is. Oh, well, it's me. I've taken some classes. That's not an answer. Mm, Also, the director is going to be busy worrying about a million different things Advocate for yourselves and ask for a fight director. Ask for someone to be about that specifically or intimacy. That Mm -hmm. also relates to that conversation. I think that's an incredibly important note to leave it on. The importance of advocating for yourself and Mm -hmm. being comfortable speaking up and letting people know when things are not okay or when you are not comfortable. So, you know what? I'm actually... I'm going to say no to myself and I'm going to let my (laughs) previous question go because I think that is an incredibly important note 
to end on. But if you're a Patreon subscriber, or if you're not yet, you can subscribe on Patreon. And once we finish the podcast, Daniel will ask his question I'll on the post-show yeah. on Patreon. I'll yeah. ask my other question on Patreon. Yeah, I know, right? Now I just want to know. Since our last episode, Alistair Hunter, who is at Alistair underscore H on Instagram and Twitter, said, Yo, folks. At Rude Grooms have a podcast called This Would Know, and it is very good. Thank you so much, Alistair. And uh, it was awesome, so awesome to see you again at STA. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about STA in just a moment. Also, Ian Peterson messaged us on Facebook to say, I sh- Oh, vengeance! You not. Be Still and Breathe has been my life for the past week as I am generally laid up on the couch and await the prognosis of a hernia. Crying face, crying smiling face, crying smiling face. Being Still and Breathing is capitals all I got. Clown smile, clown smile, clown smile. Next message. Actually, I just heard back from the doctor like 10 minutes ago. No hernia, so that's good. But no exclamation of my symptoms either, so that's weird. Well, Ian, we're sending you so much love, so much healing, and we are so glad that you do not have a hernia. Be still, breathe, and we are with you, my friend. Um, This week, Daniel and I are foregoing our usual recommendations because, uh, number one, we've gone a bit over on this episode because Molly and Caitlin have given us so much that we want to share with you. And number two, in the past... 10 days or so, um, I have opened the world premiere of a play that I wrote and directed at the Gilbert Theater in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Learn more about that at gilberttheater.com and had the great pleasure of leading certain parts of the training in the Practicon portion of the annual Shakespeare Theater Association Conference, which was held in my hometown of Dallas, Texas, hosted by Shakespeare Dallas, uh, one of my very favorite theater companies and the company that gave me my first two professional roles uh, way back in the day, uh, The Tempest and Romeo and Juliet, both directed by uh, still artistic director Raphael Perry. I had a great time there, met so many new friends, uh, but it was exhausting and overwhelming. So we are getting this out for you, but our recommendations will have to wait till next week. That concludes this episode of This Wooden O presented by Rude Grooms. Caitlin Farley and Molly Thomas, thank you all so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure to have you both here. It was a dream. Where can we, Molly, starting with you, Molly, then Caitlin, where can the people find you on the internet machine if they want to keep up with everything that you're doing? <laughs> on the internet machine, I have a website at www.mollyethomas.com, spelled Molly with a Y. Um, and otherwise, I'm on Instagram also with molly.e.thomas. And I don't know, just Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> um, I am on Instagram at underscore Caitlin Farley. Um, I, my website is www.caitlinfarley.com, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N, because there are like a million ways to spell Caitlin, apparently. And you can also follow my production company with fellow co-founder Sophie Mashofsky called Fight the Good Fight Productions on Instagram at FTGF Productions. And uh, my name is Daniel Kemper. I'm Montgomery Sutton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Daniel Kemper. 
and at danielkemperaxe.com. You can find me on Twitter at Montgomery Sato. I got really teased today because I went in to make uh, a new Twitter account for uh, my wedding videography company. And when I was putting in the name, it said max 60 characters. So then I went back to Twitter and I went to my handle to adjust it because I was like, oh, finally, it can be at Montgomery Sutton. But no, it can't. My name's still too long. Also on Instagram, <laughs> I can have my full name at Montgomery Sutton. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. That, that, I'm not going to do that. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it in. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of This Wooden O, hosted and produced by Daniel Kemper and Montgomery Sutton. Original music is by Kara Arena. This Wooden O is brought to you by Rude Grooms, a Queens, New York-based theater company creating epically intimate theatrical experiences in public spaces, non-traditional venues, and new media. Learn more at rudegrooms.com or follow us on social media at rudegrooms and at this wooden o.